It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. So we're in the chapel. Uh, we are, this is the fourth episode in a four-part event where we're doing four Daily Thunders all in one night. It's a Sunday night. And we did this a month ago and did the first four, and this is the second four. And I really enjoy this. I enjoy the momentum that is created. I think the challenge for me is I, as a communicator, I always want to make sure that the, each episode I'm on makes sense. So it's like, do I need to fill people in? Do I, and so, I mean, what I probably should just say is if you've missed the first seven, just go back and listen to them. And then this one will make total sense. But they do sort of work together in these event nights because I sort of feel like I've already said something, but I actually said it in a previous episode. And it's somewhat challenging to know if I should repeat it. So uh, let's head into part eight. Uh, a great description of Teddy Roosevelt even is found in the title. A very big boy. He was a big guy. Uh, you know, he started out scrawny. He started, if you listen to the first episode in this series, it's called The Weakling. He started out with extreme asthmatic condition and he carried it for, you know, basically his entire life, but he overcame it. He defied it like everything else. He is going to become one of the most vigorous men as far as how he's going to live his life. If anything is challenging, he wants to do it. He is going to go out on adventure after adventure after adventure. He's going to go uh, to he's four continents, I think. He's the first uh, president to, to leave the country during his actual presidency, first president to fly in a plane. The guy that took him up in a plane uh, is going to die in a plane crash two weeks later. Uh, it's the first president to go down into a submarine. It was an experimental submarine. And he is going to go down into an experimental submarine for 40 minutes. And all of his aides are panicking. They are not too happy about this. But that's the way he was. He, he laughed at danger, truly. I mean, he did not see it the same way everyone else does. He was a very big boy. So the faith of a five-year-old, I think I had a message first year Ellerslie when Hudson was five. Uh, and uh, I remember I came home one day from uh, working here at Ellerslie and Hudson had the back of a door uh, with all these pieces of artwork that he had uh, whipped up and quite the artist, uh, stick figures. And, and uh, he, had, he was basically telling the entire gospel through the Bible in these, these pictures. And it was, it was actually... A, profound thing for me to just sort of see the simplicity of faith that comes in this five-year-old package, that there's something that we have when we're young that so easily believes, that actually believes that God can do anything. If God says that he could pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea, a five-year-old actually doesn't have a problem with that. It's us as we grow up that seem to have problems with that because we never personally experienced it. And as we grow up, we quote unquote mature. But what we have a tendency to do is mature out of our five-year-old faith. Because there's actually something, it's not the childishness of a child that God desires in us. It's the childlikeness that he desires. He desires the simplicity and the purity of faith. 
my, my dad uh, used to say also, you know, we had Santa uh, when I was growing up. And I, I don't know, is, is this safe to say uh, in a daily thunder? Uh, but, you know, Santa, my parents went to great lengths to convince us of Santa too. Santa came to my birthday party. Uh, and my birthday is December 17th, so it worked out well. My mom found him at a local mall and invited him over. Uh, it's amazing how accessible Santa can be. And uh, then one night, I was in bed early. It was Christmas Eve, and I was in bed. So one night, this is a pretty important night, right? I'm in bed early, and suddenly I hear this ho, ho, ho in the hall. And so I come to the door and I peek out and Santa is walking down my hall with a bag of gifts saying ho ho really loudly bumping into my door too. You know, it's like making sure that I see it. So, you know, this is like how I grow up. So when I'm driving, uh, we had the tooth fairy and the tooth fairy would always leave something behind. I picture, I envisioned how the tooth fairy worked. I had it all worked out in my head. You know, I had all sorts of things that I believed very simply when I was young. My dad, I still remember driving home from Kentucky Fried Chicken, and there was a, a big barrel of, of Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? And there's a hole in the top, you know, for breathing uh, and to let the hot air out, right? Well, my dad said that, you know, because I wanted to put my finger in it, and my dad said that there was a crab that lived inside of that tub, and that if I put my finger in, it would bite it off. And so, I mean, I believed it. It was the weirdest thing that when we took the lid off, the crab disappeared. And my dad says, yeah, it's, it disappears when it's, you know, visible. But, uh, and I believed all of that, okay? So I'm saying that there is a quality of being a young one that is very vulnerable and we can say gullible, but also bent on trust. Isn't that interesting to be bent towards trust as opposed to not trusting? And many of us, because of the experiences we've had in our life, have a warping that takes place where we actually are quicker to not show trust or not have confidence in things that are said than have confidence. So I'm saying on the screen, quick to believe the impossible. Matthew 18, one through five, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So, this man is known, Teddy Roosevelt is known for his daring escapades. And I've already just named a few, right? But there, there are so many that you could just keep going and going and going with this man because almost every single thing he did is like ludicrous. You did that too? And he, he, nothing kills him either. He's just always surviving. So he is given an invitation to venture into the Amazon jungle. Now, his body is already... Uh, he, he has some bruises, some life scars. You know, he, he's had life impediments in his physical health anyways that he has overcome, but he just defies them all. And so I wouldn't say it's the wisest thing to go on this journey just to start with. You know, if I'm his doctor, I'm probably going to say not the best idea. Now, he's starting to gain a lot of weight. If you've ever seen a picture of Teddy Roosevelt that's a little larger, uh, larger than life is a great way of describing this man. This is in that season. So he's, he's carrying a lot of, of extra weight. Now, this is a grand adventure. This would be uh, to, I mean, at, at the, the beginning, it's to explore and to do some basic natural history, natural uh, type of science studies. 
And so this museum is going to fund it. And yet once he gets down there, he's going to be baited into a greater adventure. And that's to explore what's called the River of Doubt, which will eventually become, uh, what is it, the River Teo, uh, I forgot what it's called now, but it's named after Roosevelt. Uh, and uh, so the invitation to venture into the Amazon jungle. So here's the question from, I always say his aides, but everyone that surrounds him, right? But why would you take this risk, sir? Listen to his response. It's my last chance to be a boy. I've been pondering that a lot because I think that's one of the things that I need to have refreshed in my life. If you go back in time for Eric Ludi, anything's possible. The church of Jesus Christ can be awakened in this generation, this very generation. If one man were to stand up and do what God is asking him to do, who knows the impact that could come out of that one man? I mean, you go back into the younger version of Eric and it's fire, it's alive, and it believes anything is possible in the church right now, that we can stop this spread of evil that is encroaching upon this world, that we can defy it. And then if you look at the Eric in front of you now, I don't wanna say that he's any different, but uh, you know, I'm an older, a little more crusty version of that. I still believe everything I just said. However, I don't have the boyish quality of it. And so when I'm preparing this and when I'm looking at Roosevelt and I'm seeing him, you know how old he is at this exact moment? 53. Ah! Okay, if you've missed my previous sessions, that's my age. I just turned 53. So there's a lot that God is doing in me as I'm even going through this, as I'm seeing Roosevelt at the age of 53 being invited on an Amazon adventure. Well, I just have, you know, I have a lot of things that are in my life right now. I don't really have the ability to go on the Amazon adventure like I would have if I was younger. Roosevelt looks at it completely different. He's so excited for this. It's my last chance to be a boy. The opportunity to be a boy. Now, some of you are ladies in here, and this is a little tricky for you to know how to appropriate this, but there's something about little boys. And it's a classic understand that little boys, you know, are rather rambunctious, right? And they do dumb things as we would classify them. You know, they'll climb up trees that can't support them and climb out on limbs that are sure to break. They will jump into lakes that they don't know the depth of. You know, they'll do things that they shouldn't do, but they're boys. And that's a quality of being a little boy is that you don't always calculate out the positives and negatives and weigh them against each other but you are moved by a certain instinct for adventure uh, to overcome obstacle. And if someone says you can't do it, I double dare you. Oh boy, that'll get a little boy. It's like, you double dared me? Uh, you know, well then I have to do it. I had a roommate in college that all you had to do was double dare him and he would do the dumbest things. You know, I, I, I dare you. It's like, well, I'm not gonna do that. I would, I would get kicked out of college. It's like, I double dare you. You you double dare me? And it's just like, that means nothing, Bob. You don't need to listen to him. He's like, he double dared me. And so one of the things was to do a backflip off of this concrete platform to a lower concrete platform. I'm like, Bob, I'm pleading with him. I'm like, Bob, you do, I don't care, but he double dared me. I don't care. 
can I retract it? I don't double dare you. I mean, can we just somehow remove it? No, it's already been done. <laughs> he was double dared to throw an ice you know, uh, thing through a window uh, on the upper level that was cracked. It's like, I dare you. No, I'm not gonna do that. It's like, I double dare you. What? And then he gets this ice you know, blob and throws it through and it goes through this little opening. And he felt so good about that and hit one of the girls that was doing her studies up there. Okay, that, that's a very big boy as well. Okay, the opportunity to be a boy, to dream big and to think anything is possible. How are you doing on that category? You know, so many of us look out at this world and we don't think anything is possible anymore. We just are looking to batten down and to survive it, as opposed to recognize that we are the ones assigned to change the world in which we live. Now, I can't even tell you what that means because I see the same things, I understand the same dynamic. All I'm saying is we need a little of this boyishness back in us as the church. So the church leadership meeting in 2002, again, I'm picking a date. I think that's my best guess of when it happened. And I remember sitting at this big table with all these different church leaders and I was by far the youngest by at least 20 years. And I, it's gonna sound strange, but I, you know how you guys have seen me walk or pace? Well, I didn't know how to do that yet in a meeting, especially when you're the youngest. But I had so much emotion inside of me that I perched on my chair. It's this formal meeting and I get up on my chair my, and I'm, I have my knees up against me. I didn't know what to do. Because, and I, I knew I had to say something because this was like ridiculous. It's like, where is the church going? Come on, guys, don't you realize who our God is? That's what's burning inside of me. And so here's what I said to Leslie after the meeting. Oh, I guess I said this to God, but I said it to Leslie too. Lord, please don't let me grow up to become like that. A whole bunch of crusty old believers that lost their fervor somewhere along the line. They lost their big vision. They lost the sense that God could do anything. I still had it. And I remember one of the guys looking across the table at me when I gave my big speech, it, it did come out. And he said, look, you know, when I was young, I, I was very similar to you. And what I'm thinking, I'm glad I had the restraint to not say, but I don't want to become like you. So I just said it to Leslie afterwards. I don't want to become like that guy because he had lost something. I didn't want to lose that. So now you fast forward all these years. And then the question that comes to me in my own soul is, Eric, have you lost it? Oh Lord, I don't want to lose that. Lord, freshly bring me an Amazon adventure, adventure if you need to. I, don't let me grow old in my, uh, that side of the maturity. I want to be young and boyish in my faith. So here's an anonymous quote, which is uh, funny because I gave a sermon last Sunday that was talking about, uh, now this is again, this is an event, this one will be released way after the fact. So it'll give some space between that sermon. So hopefully no one will see the, the funny uh, issue that I'm facing. But I was talking about Babel. There's the ethics of AI. And I was dealing with Babel and how they were trying to build up into the heavens, right? And so this is, seems like a contradiction when I'm quoting this as a good thing. Too low they build who build beneath the stars. Now, let's look at this in the positive way. Not in the way that Babel did, but in the way that God has assigned us. You see, God will do in our lives something exceeding 
abundantly and abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, which means he's aiming so much higher than we naturally will aim. Even when we are souped up in all our faith, God still is going to go higher. So the point of this type of a quote is we build too low when we think humanly about anything. What could God do? Well, that's, that's quite a statement. Moses, as Josephus will write it, Moses, when he was backed up to the Red Sea, knew that God would deliver. He knew. He just didn't know how. So as Josephus, the historian, the Jewish historian, this isn't in the Bible, this is bonus you know, Jewish history and thought. He said that Moses had four different proposals, that God could part the Red Sea and they could walk across on dry land. He could also flatten the mountains and they could walk across that, or I guess it's three proposals, or he could pick them up and fly them out of there. Now, how many of us have thoughts like that? That if God has led us this far, did he lead them to the Red Sea? Yeah, I'd say so. So if God has led me here, that means he possesses this place. That means this is his. This is his storyline. It does not belong to the Egyptian cavalry. It belongs to my God. So my God will deliver. It's a fact. How he's going to do it, oh, I don't know. Let's sit back and watch. Have you lost the boyish faith or the girlish faith? I don't know how girlish faith works. That's what we'll keep calling it boyish faith just in case. So Candace Millard in the book, The River of Doubt, says this. Now, this quote is actually going to come from a friend of mine, Tim Krause, down in Dominican Republic. And he is going to, he's greatly been impacted by Teddy Roosevelt. So when he was listening to the series, he sent me this quote and said, this quote out of this book has had one of the most significant impacts on his life. And it's a you know, strange quote, but it's very fascinating. It says, although Kermit Roosevelt, who's uh, Teddy's son, was smart and strong, he did not have his father's ability to forge his own happiness. That's just sort of an odd statement that there's something about Teddy that he's not like even his son who is a great leader, who's smart and strong, but Teddy has something. In the darkest moments, he seems to forge happiness. He seems to turn every table, every circumstance upside down. And he looks at it with a big jovial grin. The secret to forging happiness. Here's at least one of the secrets or a piece of the secret. Living for something bigger than yourself. You know, when you get into a time of crisis, your tendency is to think about you. Your tendency is to think about how you are going to make it through it. Okay, if we were to be honest, we'd all recognize that quality. However, to go through a difficulty, Jesus style, or in this case, we could call it Teddy style, is to think about others. And Teddy is going to uh, get an infection when he's on this trip, and he is going to ask them to leave him behind. He actually has morphine ca- tablets, and he was thinking of taking them so that he would not be a burden and eat any of their food. He wanted them to make it out. This is the president of the United States, so arguably one of the most important people on earth, and he's willing to give up his life so that they would have the food and go on. He's in an extreme suffering situation and he's thinking about everyone around him. Jesus is on the cross. Think about this, guys. How does he endure this incredible difficulty? He is going to be thinking about the thief next to him. He's going to be thinking about his mom and how she's going to be cared for. He's thinking about all those that have heaped this challenge upon his life. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That is the secret. 
You see, in these dark moments, that there is something that we are able to do to raise our life above the circumstances. The old lady from the walled city. So this is a Jackie Pullinger story. And Jackie Pullinger was living in the walled city. I don't remember how long she was there. It was like 50 years, a very long time. Even the police wouldn't come into the walled city. It was such a decadent, depraved place. And so she was dealing with all these heroin addicts and they would actually stay in her room overnight as they were coming off heroin. And I mean, extreme circumstances that she was in. But she had this one lady that had been on heroin for so long in her life. She'd had so many, you know, missteps in her life. She was just burdened with guilt and grief. And it's like, how do you recover from that? So, so Jackie's trying to figure out, so what is the secret of leading someone like this? If I have to walk through every single one of her hurts and her challenges in her life so far and apply the truth to it. I mean, this is going to take, you know, decades. This woman will never recover because she has such a problematic life that she has lived. She's been hurt so bad. She's had so much harm done to her. And so God gave Jackie the wisdom that she needs to just turn outward. She just needs to start serving. And if she starts serving, all of these ailments, all of these grief points, all of these trauma points melt away. That's how you forge happiness, is you turn outward. In your time of greatest struggle, to turn outward? That doesn't seem like the right way to turn. The dangers of becoming old in your thinking. So when you become old, here's how an old person thinks. I shouldn't, I can't, I won't. So I don't know if you guys have ever uh, heard the character Mr. Elton uh, from the story Emma. It's a Jane Austen story. But Mr. Elton is just this young guy, right? But he gets married. And the moment he becomes married, he's an old married man. I really don't like this character, by the way. But no, he's asked to dance. No, I must pass. I'm an old married man. Now, what's interesting is that's actually what creeps into our life. Now, we look at a Mr. Elton and we scoff and we say, how ridiculous. You're, you're like 22 but he's an old married man and he can no longer do things that he used to do when he was young and single. And so many of us can get crusty like this very quickly in our own spiritual life. Oh, back when I was young, yeah, I would do that. But you know what? I'm an old married man now. So, I mean, there's some great stories with Teddy Roosevelt swimming with the sharks. Uh, Teddy! There's sharks in these waters. He's swimming out to rescue someone on a boat. And this is, uh, I think it's in the Spanish-American War. And he's out in the waters, shark-infested waters. And he basically makes a statement. Uh, it's like, well, they should, something like they should be just as scared of, scared of us as we would be of them. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care. Let's go. We're on a mission. And then on the way back, they're circling him. And he doesn't care at all. It's just like this mythical story of this man who does not care. It's like, what is that to me? I mean, sh who cares? An average man fears a shark. I'm not an average man. Flying in a plane, again, that guy that was flying him in a plane goes down and is killed two weeks later. It wasn't very safe to fly in a plane back then. Going down in an experimental submarine. The Here's, listen to this. This is in contrast with my first statement. The benefits of becoming a boy in your thinking. The first one was, I shouldn't, I couldn't, I won't. This one is, I should, I could. I will. You see, it's a very different mentality that has a lot of malleability. It is ready for action as opposed to deadened to action. And what I want to make sure is that in the church, 
we don't become old and crusty. You know the concept of religion is becoming old and crusty. Yeah, that's what we would say. We would call it dead religion, right? Uh, I think the Presbyterians called it the frozen chosen. When you start to lose that malleability and you become frozen in your doctrine, in your theology, you have it all together, all your I's dotted, your T's crossed, you know your doctrine, you have your correct theology, and you're dead. That's Pharisaism. Pharisaism didn't act. It didn't act because the action of heaven is the essence of it. It's love. We do something. We act. We move. We don't stay in place and just think wise, theologically correct thoughts. You will know my disciples by their love for one another. There's an action that defines us. Sheep and goats separated out from one side to the other. And the goats... They look very similar. They say, meh, whereas the, the sheep say, bah. I mean, it sounds very similar, but there's a distinction between the two. One does something, the other doesn't. Virgins, five virgins do something. They get oil in their lamp. Five don't. You see, the action part of our faith mustn't leave us. It is essential that we maintain that boyishness to our faith, that limberness, that readiness. The endless frontier. It's a term we use at Ellerslie and have used for a long time to talk about the vastness of possibility with God. And it comes from back when uh, Leslie and I were first meeting each other. I had a vocal coach and I had been training for about a year and I, I thought I was like, I just thought I could be professional now. And I wanted to know how far I'd gone. You know, I was f figuring he could say something like, you're ready, you're done, you've arrived. And he chuckled when I asked how far I'd gone. And he, he said, Eric, singing is an endless frontier. You've taken one step into an endless frontier and you're asking me how far you've gone. You're one step into an endless frontier. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, after all this work, that's all the further I've gone? And then he said this, Eric, you're one step further than 99.99% of the rest of the human race, but never pitch your tent. And that one statement in my life is one of the most defining I've ever had because I recognized I had a mentality. I wanted to pitch my tent. I was looking for a flat piece of ground to grow old and crusty in, as opposed to staying boyish and moving forward and saying there is more to be had. I don't wanna stay here. I wanna go where God is leading. So the ever deepening river is an incredible picture of this. In the Old Testament, it's a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the greatest ways of likening it because the living river is constantly going to be re re reflected upon and Jesus himself is going to use it as a direct statement of the Holy Spirit. So the ever deepening river, Ezekiel 47, two through six, he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. It's coming out of the temple of God. What a, what a strange house this is that has water gushing out of it. And yet, if you study all these different pictures that you're gonna see of the throne of God, you're going to see that that river courses, the river of life courses from the throne. And so it matches. This is a temple that was never built here on this earth, which it oftentimes uh, just called the Ezekiel temple, but it's a picture of the Christ. There's no doubt about it. It's also a picture of something perfect, the perfect house, Jesus. 
And when the man went out the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. And he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000. It was a river that I could not cross for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. Have you seen it? Do you see how the kingdom of heaven works? That you take a step and you're up to your ankles. That doesn't mean you're done with the journey. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Sure, I do. Well, there's more. Are you willing to follow? So measure out another thousand doubles, by the way, guys. It goes up to your knees. That's a lot more. There's more. Don't stop here. Don't grow old and crusty here. God wants to take you deeper. Another thousand up to your waist. Most of us would have settled a long time ago with just our ankles. How much more are we missing out on? Because we stopped following into the depths of the river. It gets a little scary when you get into the river, guys. It's less of you, more of him. There's reasons why many of us halt and stop. Because we'd like to maintain a little of our control, but the more you go, you are disappearing, and it's only the river that is seen in your life. In the same sort of context is talking about the construction of the temple and it's talking about these rooms on the side of the temples and listen to this description I'm going to call it the ever-increasing building as you go from one story up into the next the rooms get bigger that's just interesting that it's designed into the very temple of God so here it is Ezekiel 41 7 as one went up from story to story the side chambers became wider all around because their supporting ledges and the wall of the temples ascended like steps therefore the width of the structure increased as one went up from the lowest story to the highest by the way of the middle one okay guys whatever that is in our life being the temple of God that God desires to expand it's just like the wedding at Cana the wine gets sweeter and better when you invite Jesus to the wedding as the wedding progresses, as it continues, it's supposed to expand, it's supposed to grow, it's supposed to deepen. Do we need another metaphor or are we fine? In other words, have we seen it? Just as the man is going to take Ezekiel up onto the banks and say, did you see it? Did you see what I'm showing you? Are we seeing it? That God desires more out of us. He's not asking us to retire. He's not asking us to grow old and crusty and religious. Just have our theology and our doctrine, but stop living it. He desires us to be malleable like a little boy. And when we're called on our Amazon adventure, that we're ready to say, bully, let's do it. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. We ought not to rest content in the, midst, in the mists of the valley when the summit of Tabor awaits us. How pure the dews of the hills, how fresh is the mountain air, how rich the fare of the dwellers aloft whose windows look into the new Jerusalem. Many saints are content to live like men in coal mines who see not the sun. Tears mar their faces when they might anoint them with celestial oil. Satisfied I am that many a believer pines in a dungeon when he might walk on the palace roof and view the goodly land in Lebanon. Rouse thee, O believer, from thy low condition. Cast away thy sloth, thy lethargy, thy coldness, or whatever interferes with thy chaste and pure love to Christ. Make him the source, the center, and the circumference of all thy soul's range of delight. Rest no longer satisfied with thy dwarfish attainments. Aspire to a higher, a nobler, a fuller life, upward to heaven, nearer to God. Whew. And the author of Streams in the Desert, Letty Kalman, says this, 
Not many of us are living at our best. We linger in the lowlands because we are afraid to climb the mountains. The steepness and the ruggedness dismay us, and so we stay in the misty valleys and do not learn the mystery of the hills. We do not know what we lose in our self-indulgence, what glory awaits us if only we had courage for the mountain climb, what blessing we should find if only we would move to the uplands of God. So I'm not sure if you see it, guys, but the river deepens. When you enter into this temple life, it grows larger with every story you climb. God desires to expand us. He's not looking for just a flat piece of ground to have us pitch our tent and stop our journey. So no matter where we're at, I want us to freshly pull up tent stakes and decide afresh to keep marching forward. So I've ended each of these episodes with a question, a Teddy Roosevelt question. This is number eight. Do you still have the boyish belief that God is almighty and able to do anything? Have you lost your adventurous inclination? Are you seeking an easy life or are you after a godly life? And I finished each one of these with a Teddy Roosevelt quote. This is quote number eight. Teddy on the true secret of success. This is uh, Teddy Roosevelt talking. You, sons of the pioneers, if you are true to your ancestry, must make your lives as worthy as they made theirs. They sought for true success and therefore they did not seek ease. They know that success comes only to those who lead the life of endeavor. I'm going to read that last line again because that's, that's great. They know that success comes only to those who lead the life of endeavor. What a way to describe how we are supposed to live as Christians. It's the life of endeavor. Not as a normal men would endeavor, but as a godly man or a godly woman would endeavor to know him more, to make him known to a lost and dying world while we still have breath. That is where the true success comes, not the life of ease, the life of endeavor. Lord Jesus, oh, how we need this. Planted inside of us, cultivated inside us, forged inside of us, that we would be true Christians in this hour of need. Lord, make us such people. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.